Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Uh, it's Ted. Eric and I make no bones about the fact that we love Dogtra. We've been using them even long before they were sponsors of the podcast. Uh, my favorite is the 1900S hands-free. I typically have the remote in my pocket and I just put the other remote inside my glove or on my wrist and I can use that thing all day long. It's fantastic. Dr. is going to continue to be a sponsor of the podcast and because of that, you guys get a discount. So if you head to dogtra.com, any unit over $200, you'll get a 10% off if you use the discount code WDR10. That's Working Dog Radio 10, WDR10, dogtra.com. Go get it. This episode of Working Dog Radio is being brought to you in part by RayAllen.com. RayAllen.com, your one-stop shop for everything dog-related. Not just canine, not just search and rescue, not just civilian sport, and not just pets. All of it. Everything related to a dog you can find at RayAllen.com. Be sure to mention the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. Man, we are stoked to have TrueScent back on the podcast as a sponsor. Train your explosive detection dogs with TrueScent Canine, not a pseudo. It's a simulant. Training aids available at TrueScent Canine. That's the letter K, the number nine, dot com, or 512-533-2040. If you use the code WDR15, that's WDR15, you get 15% off your next order of training aids Accessories are excluded. Hit them up, truescentcanine.com. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you by Hits Training and Consulting. Next year, August 13th through the 16th in Chicago, Illinois, the number one police canine conference in the world, hands down. The most amazing instructors there. Wait till you see the vendor show. If you thought last year was big, you haven't seen anything. There's going to be vendors from every facet of the canine industry, giveaways, everything you can think of, great times. During the day, great times at night. Ted and I will be there, Working Dog Radio booth. Going to have a good time. Hits 2019. Don't wait. Register now. Hitscanine.net. Any working dog handler can tell you these dogs find magical and magnificent ways to hurt themselves. Hell, half of being a handler is keeping them from hurting themselves. Much like maintenance training, care and upkeep is an important ongoing duty of any working handler, no matter if it's military, law enforcement, search and rescue, or sport. I had a dual-purpose dog at the kennel that we were training that had a hot spot from a food allergy, and it was clearly bugging him. We had to continue working this dog. I didn't have time for him to take off. So our vet wanted to put him on some anti-inflammatory, and I'm usually pretty anti-med unless it's absolutely necessary. If you remember from the Janet Baker episode, certain medications will cause problems with detection, and I ain't got time for that. I found a product called Quick Term from the people over at VetCare. I used this spray once a day for a week. And it was gone completely. We had another dog get a puncture wound during a track on his chest, and it probably needed a staple, but it was in a weird area. So I clipped a fur around it and put this on there once a day for about 10 days, and it was like it never happened. This isn't a Me Too product. It's not relabeled. It's specifically made for dogs and horses. Nothing like it on the market, and it works on wounds, but it also takes care of skin issues like flea dermatitis, hot spots like I mentioned, lick sores, granulomas, pad injuries, and the dreaded happy tail, which causes the back of your patrol cruiser to look like the OJ crime scene. It's a patented formula with a lot of science behind it. This shit really works. Due disclosure, I got tagged pretty bad and needed to get sewn back together a couple months ago, 
and I may have used it on myself and it works great. The stub is also temperature stable, so you can keep it in the patrol car with all the rest of your first aid supplies in the summer and the winter, and it'll help prevent small issues from becoming larger ones, and it'll keep the admins happy because the vet bills will go down. Head over to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR, that's 10WDR, and get 10% off. Get your working dogs working again and quicker with QuickDerm. All right, everybody, this is Eric. We are back on Working Dog Radio coming to you from the Blue Line Conference in gorgeous, beautiful The Point here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I do like Pittsburgh. Um, it's drive. like we're on an island. Yeah, the traffic is the fucking worst here. And it's the, it when, they, when they built this place, they definitely didn't think about expansion. Like, there's nowhere for Pittsburgh to go, and they just keep piling cars in it. True story. Yeah, if you've ever driven through here, that part sucks. But once you get parked and out, Pittsburgh's actually yeah, a pretty Yeah, we went cool for lunch somewhere. This place called The Yard, and I had a gourmet grilled cheese. That was fucking fantastic. Yeah, I had a beer. Good food so, here. Yeah, no, no, I had I beer had too, so it's almost beer 30 time anyway. Uh, yeah, so for the first year, uh, Matt and Joe did a really good job. I mean, this is a uh, it's been well put together, well run. Uh, nothing's caught on fire yet, so we still got tomorrow, though, and Eric and I still have to do our presentation, so you never know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're bringing in strippers, though, so that's a different true fire. story. <laughs> um, so, you know, I like about this this conference is, and we talked about it with, with uh, Matt Godwin, is you have some big hitters in the industry that, that come to a lot of these events and, and talk, and then you have some guys that are relatively unknown outside of training. Not, not so much out, the handlers don't really know them trainers we know them so it's good that those guys get to be spotlighted a little bit and get to you know get their name out there as instructors whether it, this was it if they fucked it up they that's on them right, but, yeah. uh, people learn pretty quickly that um you, you could be a really good trainer um and but and real good with training guys in that small setting and maybe doing a demo in here and there but actually presenting your material is a big deal so. yeah that's a skill set all on its own for sure so um I don't know if I want to, he'll probably disagree, but speaking of one of the hit, big hitters in canine. Disagree. Right, disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Strongly disagree. We, uh, we have Paul Hammond with us. Uh, for those of you, especially in the detection side of, of this business, know who he is or should know who he is. You've definitely heard of um, some of his products, so to speak, I guess. And um, we'll, uh, we'll get into it. The... Um, Mayor of Anniston, Alabama, Paul Hammond. Welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I hope you can understand my fine English accent. Not you're not, yeah, right. Right. You're not from Alabama. Yeah. Uh, I'm fixing to get better, but, <laughs> but I'm working yeah. on it. Okay, there I'm working go. on it. All right. I'm working on yeah. it. We interviewed. We did interviewed uh, Carlos Ramirez the other day, and Carlos now he he's up at IKEA, so he moved to Anniston and. I said, "There's a uh, they have they still have that weapons of mass destruction school that the government they do, puts on yeah, down there." Yeah, so yeah. that was my only time in Anniston, yeah. Alabama, and it's the drunkest I've ever gotten at a conference. <laughs> I hear you. And ate like a king at that thing, prime rib and all that. That's and, fed money. But I remember the beer was like a dollar. Like it's oh, yeah. cheap as oh, hell yeah. in Anniston, yeah. Alabama. Oh, it's cheap. Even the housing is yeah. cheap. You know, you can buy a five bedroom house with a pool for like 140,000. You know, right. It's ridiculous, yeah. it's just insane. We, in, yeah. in the class we had guys from the suburbs of Chicago and they were ready to slit their wrist. Yeah, talking yeah. Of, they yeah. pay that much in taxes a year. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all want to sell. When they come to our academy, they all want to sell up afterwards and move down here and, and just buy masses of land and everything yeah. else. And, and never talk to your neighbors. Around. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, you just have bugs to deal with, I, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a different, different ordeal. So for those of you that don't know you, uh, will you give us 
us some of your background and what kind of where we're at today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I, I've been in canine for 30 years, uh, 30 plus years, and uh, it's, it's been a pretty fun ride for me. Um, not unusual. I mean, there's a lot more older and bolder than I that have been a lot longer than I. Um, I guess you could say what is unusual about that is that 20 plus years have been in conflict and war zones. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in the British Army Dog Unit in Northern Ireland, 15 years, um, battling wits against terrorist organizations like the IRA and, mm -hmm. and so on. And that's where I really learned the craft of, of, of operational explosive detection, you know, go, going against those uh, live devices keeps you sharp and creates that mm -hmm. sixth sense for you. And then um, the last seven years of my uh, sort of operational tours was uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, managing and supporting uh, US Department of Defense, Department of State on some pretty big contracts out there. So it's kind of nice to get a feel for domestic terrorism and international terrorism, um, especially on the detection side. Um, I've, I've always been into the science as well um, as a working dog advisor for the uh, British military DERA, uh, with a bit, bit similar to DARPA, um, right. you know, in mm -hmm. the US side of things. and. That's where I first started looking at Auburn University's canine science program, what they were doing with body-worn explosive detection way back when in 2003, four, and right. so on, when some of their first documents were coming out. And, and, um, and then eventually, um, 2012, after seven years in the Middle East and some pretty close calls, including getting arrested and put into Iraqi jail, I, I was kind of like, okay, this, this guy's luck has <laughs> run out. And um, oh, I'm gonna you know, try my, uh, my luck back in the, the civilian world. And, form canine companies in the US and uh, I chose uh, Aniston, Alabama um, and uh, didn't realize it was more dangerous than Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, Fort McClellan, the former Fort McClellan uh, is where we set up the uh, 320 acre academy and um, it's been great ever since, you know, we just uh, doing a lot on the detection front, strategically partnered with Auburn um, on the body-worn explosive side, um, getting into the law enforcement side, the dual-purpose dogs and multi-purpose canines. It's just been a whirlwind. It's just been great, a uh, great team. You know, um, that's been my my secret uh, to uh, transitioning successfully. Has been good people around me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of. Uh, people uh, getting people around me that know more than I mm. oh, yeah. and uh, and uh, pull me over the line so um, no it's been it's been great and some good journeys along the way and uh, it's, I hope there's another 30 years so if you when you think back to uh, in Northern Ireland what were, what were explosives were they using back then um, most they kind of there was kind of trends so um, they would go through the homemade side of cycle and then we would clamp down on our operations um, and cut off supply chains coming from the Irish Sea and so on and then they would switch to high explosives because they'd got a shipment in of high explosives like Semtex H mm -hmm. um, you know ammonium nitrate um, and caster sugar what we called ANS a ratio of nine to one was probably my most fear um, explosive because typically they would put 500 or a thousand pound device out uh, luckily for them a, a trash can um, held exactly 500 pounds yeah. of ammonium nitrate and caster sugar so there was some pretty big devices you know I had some success with the Belfast Castle thousand pound bomb um, which I was looking on and a, and a few others um, so those were the larger type devices obviously initiated by a, a booster and then you had the smaller ones that were pretty damn bad as well, uh, Semtex H, of course, a mixture of RDX and PETN, um, where they used to put it in the Nescafe coffee jars, glass coffee jars. Of course, mm. us, us Brits, we're not like you American gourmet coffee mm -hmm. drinkers, you know, we, <laughs> right, we yeah. drink that, in, that instant shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, but what they used to do is uh, put a pound, pound and a half of Semtex in, debt in, battery pack, reverse pressel, 
um, seal it up, tape it up. But the glass side of things, they would throw it at us over urban walls or whatever in urban environment. It would smash on the concrete ground, and then the presser would switch into place and, and connect the circuit. Mm. And, and they were quite deadly. They were called Mark 15 coffee jar bombs, you know. Um, so we feared the small devices just like we feared the large devices. But um, look, Northern Ireland. Uh, 35 years of conflict. Uh, we lost 1,140 British soldiers uh, during that time. Uh, of course, many more civilians than, than soldiers, and, and they're the innocent ones. Um, there was over 10,000 devices, explosive devices, uh, over that 35 years. Damn. Uh, I happened to walk down to uh, close to Ooh. over 2,000 of them. You wow. know, so in my 15 years. Yeah. That's crazy. What... Um you were running the dogs back then? Correct. Uh, we had different brigades, 39 Brigade, um, 8 Brigade, and so on. And we were working with the uh, Royal Army Veterinary Corps, mm-hmm. which is like the Army's um, dog training unit right. um, as well. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. It was um, different units. Like, my former unit was the Parachute Regiment, um, so like an airborne unit. Um, and you got a detachment away from that to join the Army Dog Unit and do a two-year tour. Um, I just happened to be able to stand that on to 15 years, and yeah. that's when I first got into canine, and, and then never looked back. Were they were the Brits then using um, all kinds of different breeds? Do you see some really <coughs> weird ones out there? Or absolutely, um, you know, t- I mean, obviously the the main staple was your, your typical German Shepherd. I mean, mm. Mallys, Belgian Mallys were not really the thing back then in mm. the early 90s. Uh, you know, they started to come in right. later on. Um, I'll tell you, we are big on Labradors, of course, um, but the English Springer Spaniel, of course, I yeah. swear to goodness, that dog <laughs> is underestimated um, the detection value. Um, and in fact, when I was operating in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, I made most of my dog sections have English Springer Spaniels. The drives in those dogs and the white coats reflecting the heat mm-hmm. was just beautiful, okay? But English, English Springer Spaniels was a, was a big thing for us. Um, we went a lot with single purpose. We moved away from dual purpose dogs um, because the threat was so real. Uh, even our explosive, traditional explosive dogs, we would have separate explosive dogs just for vehicles. Oh, so vehicle wow. search dogs because y- you were under such threat of a, of a vehicle bomb coming into your base and so on, like on a regular basis, that if you could get a specialist just in that area that understood the scent picture of oils and and rubber and mm. all those things that we associate with the scent picture of a vehicle right. without the odor they would so much easier find it when there was odor on there uh, under vehicle booby traps the magnets and so on all those things that make up component parts so it was priceless to us so we did a lot of specialized vehicle search dogs arms and explosive off leash was a big thing for us mm. everything was off leash outside of vehicle search because we needed to get the distance between us and devices that's crazy because in the united states you know we're we do dual purpose right and Absolutely. most of that is a is a budgetary thing Absolutely. and when you talk to like the dutch and, and the belgians to them they're like no no if a dog is good at apprehension he that's what he does if he's good at tracking that's what he does and you'll have one handler that has two or three dogs yeah. and to them for for us to say oh yeah he does explosive and he bites people they're like what yeah seriously mm-hmm. and they're like yeah we don't have the budget to do three fucking dogs so and i think <laughs> and i think look i think obviously it's proven the attributes to, to dual purpose and multi-purpose canines they have much success right especially when the sf guys going down range and so on absolutely you can have a dog that is exceptional or good at multiple disciplines of course you can but 
you've got a specialist and, and a real elite dog when he's just concentrating on one. It's a bit like a, a boxer that can also play football or basketball, but he's going to become world champion if he just concentrates on boxing. You know, right. it's the same yeah. sort of principle. So yeah. there's not a lot of difference, but there's enough difference when your life depends on it. You yeah. know? So what's the biggest change you've seen since being in British Army to now being in the private side, like what's changed in the detection? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, aside from what we're going to talk about here in a second. Sure. But, I mean. Look, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a three sixty different world. You know, um, I think uh, in the military, uh, you're very regimented uh, in your training in your discipline. Uh, your forefathers that did it a certain <laughs> way. Guess what? You're doing you're it that way. It, yeah. You know, and uh, unless you rise to that position, you can't change shit. Okay. Right. Um, where in the private sector, uh, there's a lot more influence and changes. You know, um, individual instructors, individual trainers can change a program uh, at the very lowest level. That doesn't happen in military and, and certain agencies outside of the military as well. And I think that's detrimental to them, not the private sector. So as the problem with the private sector is they haven't necessarily got the budget that the military and organizations like that have got, okay? Right. So there's pluses on and minuses on both, you know? The trick of the trade is, is getting a combination of, you know, expertise, being flexible in your canine program to go with to change with the threat to change with developments and training breakthroughs and so on but at the same time being supported financially um, you know so you've got the money and the finances to keep a good stock of well-trained dogs without necessarily having contracts or sales uh, lined up at the door and a good facility with the right infrastructure and explosives and storage and narcotics and all those good things so yeah a combination of both is a dream world but it doesn't really happen often well i would imagine you know even from the 90s what we know about dogs or what we've learned about dogs and how dogs learn um has probably changed a lot of the way that even the base training was done there's probably guys if you think back to it all the way back to the british military that were mm-hmm. way way ahead of their time yeah and then other guys that were yank and crank and everything was compulsion even on detection work no you're absolutely right in fact you know, it's it's not modern day, for example, let me just speak about explosives. You know, it's not modern day explosive handlers faults or modern programs because they haven't walked down towards a real live explosive device. You know, they're, they're few and far between. Don't get me wrong, it's coming. Yeah, domestic right. ter- domestic mm. terrorism is, is amongst us, okay? Um, but it's nobody's fault that they haven't walked down towards that device and felt that fear factor or sixth sense or start to fine tune their own handling skills so they could spot two fresh screws in the light switch there. Where Why are they there compared to all the other screws which aren't uh, fresh? Mm. That tracked wall that's got re- been re- plastered or concrete when you go down towards real devices continuously on a day-to-day basis you develop a sixth sense okay and you don't let doctrine get in the way of keeping you alive and safe you know so in northern ireland when we found a, a 500 pound ammonium nitrate and cast a sugar bomb and safely found it and it was 
EOD, which we called ATO, Ammunition Technical Officers, EOD team would take half of it to analyze it and so on. Guess who took the other half? Yeah. The freaking canine guys, yeah. all right? We would take that shit. We'd be walking in with bags of white powder. You know, I mean, literally, you'd never seen like it. You know, 25 pound bags, because that's all you could carry at a time, like Santa Claus going back into your, <laughs> into your office, dumping it down whilst you make yourself a cup of tea. Of course, us Brits, we right. like hot tea, right? Um, and, you know, and then you'd get one of the guys scouts go and put that out for us we'll put a three-month hide out uh, so we'll bury it in an empty tree trunk hide and put it out for three months there's no human scent disturbance and then three months later we do on our table of different hides all around our bases you know I, I fancy working Semtex with an ID command wire that's running 40 yards okay sector F um, where the school is on the back of the school run that fence line we buried that in three months ago mm. and you go and work it you know and see what the results were so there was a lot less paperwork. There was a lot less, you know, rules and regulations and safety and all this stuff yeah. because you had to be on the cutting edge. You would go, you're risking your life on a daily basis. And I think that's one of the big problems with today is we're engulfed in paperwork on the explosive detection side because the threat is not right on our doorsteps. Yeah. But once that changes and a few stadiums start going up and, and public places and so on and so forth, my goodness, watch how those barriers come down because we've got to be ready to meet the, meet the know, enemy. That's something that Eric and I have talked about too. And we had Elion from uh, TrueScent, you know, we talked about it too. And every time that we've had something that's happened in the United States, it's not been a traditional explosive, it's been HME. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, that's something that I think if, and it's one of those deals that we have to, that we do have to train for and that we do have to address and we have to address it quickly. And, you know, we've talked about the NORT test on here before and whether it's good or bad is neither here nor there, but at least it's an effort to to try and address that issue because, you know, I mean, we, you know, when he said when they were, we go to Iraq, they had a very, during the first Gulf War, it was a very traditional mature military. So mm -hmm. they were dealing with normal explosives. Yeah. The ATF and everything they've done, one of the things they've done really well is managed to keep high explosives out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them, which is not a bad thing. The other side of that is HME is extremely easy to make and it's extremely fucking dangerous. Absolutely. And, yeah, make, I shuddered. Even, I don't oh, want to yeah. mess with that crap. No, yeah. And it, yeah, so how, how, you know, moving forward, where you're at now, where, what, how does Vaporwake sort of like come into this conversation about um, bodyborne stuff mm -hmm. and about HME? Yeah, look, it, it's all about threats and trends, okay? So, you know, as, as program managers, company owners, government organizations, supervisors, and anyone in, a, in an area of responsibility where you've got canine teams underneath you that are training to meet a certain certification standard and ready to, you know, fails, face real explosive threats um, has to gather intelligence, okay? And it's one of the, you know, it's underestimated how important intelligence gathering in our canine industry is. You know, too many companies, too many dog teams out there think that dog handling, whether it's explosives, narcotics, or so on, is about putting odor source out somewhere and seeing if your dog can find it. Okay, and they're making it harder, deeper, wider, higher, and so on. The reality is, in my world, it's about looking at the threat, looking at the trends. You can trend from what's happening in Iraq and <coughs> Afghanistan you can trend that one year later to those types of explosives and devices and trigger mechanisms coming to Europe. And then six months to a year later, coming to the US, okay? 
I mean, I was looking at pipe bombs being used in London and Europe and then a year before that in the Middle East in certain areas and was advising clients of ours on our advanced course. We were starting to train the dogs on pipe bombs, okay, and the component parts associated with that. And when asked why, look, this trend is coming. Six months later, the failed pipe bomb attacks in New Jersey and so on, the marathon yeah. and so forth. So you can watch the trends. It's not about just training HME or just training high explosives and so on. We all know the 12 odors or the 20-something odors, depending on what your agency is, okay? But what I always teach is, look, once a year, yes, you have to tick the boxes. But for the other 10 months, Forget half of those odors. Concentrate on four or five odors, explosive odors, that is relevant to the current threat. You could say TATP is relevant. You know, smokeless black powder is relevant. You could say certain HMEs. You can, you can dictate what four or five odors in your state is relevant. There may be a commercial entity that's there, and, and certainly before five years ago, there was a device that was here, and this is what was used. Guess what? It's just made your top five list. Right. If you are just zoning in based off of current threats internationally and nationally and training your dog on those for 80% of the time, you're going to have a far more proficient and, and higher chance of finding real when it comes across your path. You know, And that's the whole key here. It's not about ticking boxes. If you're only likely to find TNT, okay, because that's the threat and we've just seen five TNT devices go off in the United States. Guess what everyone should be doing? If training time's as valuable as it is anyway, 80% of your time needs to be working on TNT. Mm-hmm. And if you're employed in a vehicle search role or a stadium search role or whatever, guess what? That's where you should be training, in an urban environment, in a stadium, using TNT. Now you've just increased your chances of proficiency in the real world. If you, if you don't do TNT because you have to check off 22 other odors and three months later you get back around to TNT, you're not putting yourself in the best possible position to be proficient operationally. Right. So that's kind of my take on it. It's not written in the rule book, right. but um, guess what? Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard, super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high-drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military-themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K9. Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's talk about training and conferences. We know training budgets are always tight, and that's why the crew from Hits goes the extra mile for you. Let's be honest here. There's no other canine training conference on the planet like Hits. It has now gotten so large that the 2019 Hits will be held at the largest convention center in North America. That's Chicago's McCormick Place. Experience matters when it comes to putting on a show like this and when it comes to police dog trainers. The guys who run Hits are still working police dogs, just like you. There's going to be three full days of training with five classes 
classes in session at a time. Toppers are going to range from patrol work and dog selection to case law to search and rescue to canine first aid and everything in between. They had 1,100 people in attendance last year in D.C. and are planning for more this year. And it wouldn't be a conference without the vendors. The McCormick Place has enough room for 100 vendor booths. You can meet the people that make the equipment you guys use every single day. The vendors make coming to hits an experience like nothing else in this industry. Plus the free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. Last year, they gave away about 40 grand in cash and prizes from vendors. I expect Chicago to be bigger. So come join the crew from Working Dog Radio in Chacon during the week of August 13th through the 16th at McCormick Place in Chicago, Illinois. Now, I know handlers, and I know you people wait to the last minute to do everything. Don't be that guy. Head over to hitscanine.net. That's the letter K, the number nine, to get registered and save money on your registration for doing it early. There's also information about the discounted hotel rooms. That's August 13th through the 16th in Chicago. If you didn't write it down, we got the link in the show notes. Hey guys, Eric here. If you follow Ted and I, you know that we've been traveling all over the United States doing seminars. Every time I do one of those seminars, I like to ask the handler where they got their dog. Every time they tell me Southern Coast Canine, I know we're going to have a good time. I know it's going to be a good dog. We have been seeing a lot of their dogs at a lot of different seminars. Detection, dual purpose, new handlers, experienced handlers, guys that have gone back to them over and over again. Uh, We just did the Bravo 3 conference recently down in Daytona and Southern Coast Canine brought out three green dogs. Like they just got them off the plane from Europe and they were bangers, all three of them. They killed the scenarios. They'd never seen any of that stuff, but their selection process is great. Check out their website, southerncoastcanine.com. They're offering handler schools, trainer schools, supervisor schools. They got uh, a great relationship with Tripwire, so they're doing explosive stuff down there. Every year they do a huge detection seminar. Check out southerncoastcanine.com. I've been really impressed, honestly, with the dogs that I've seen come from them. Southerncoastcanine.com. Good people, great facility. Check them out. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's take a break for a second. Let's talk about Dogtra. We make no bones about the fact that Eric and I love Dogtra. In fact, we've been users of them since long before we even started the podcast, and it's one of the reasons that we approached them to be sponsors of the show. We typically only want to have stuff on here that we actually use and that we can stand behind and endorse. Dogtra is one of those companies. They've been at it for a long time and are industry leaders when it comes to production of reliable, consistent training equipment for your dog, whether poppers and droppers, whether it be e-callers or now, they've got the new GPS one, which Eric has been playing with and he really, really likes it. So what I want everyone to do is head to dogtra.com. You get a 10% off of any item over $200 and you use the discount code WDR10. That's just like the initials of the show, Working Dog Radio, WDR10. Hit them up. Hey guys, Eric here. If you listen to Working Dog Radio or follow me on social media, Van S. Canine, you know that I am involved in a wide variety of aspects of the dog world. I am a police dog trainer, pet dog trainer, I own dog daycare, and I am a pet owner. So I have a wide variety of needs when it comes to gear for the dogs, daily living things for the dogs, all kinds of items, training, anything possible I need. I go to one place, rayallen.com. Rayallen.com is a one-stop shop for every 
everything dog related. Anything you could possibly need, check them out. RayAllen.com. They've been doing it a long time. Great customer service. Super high integrity at that place. RayAllen.com. Put in promo code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. Ted and I love that place. RayAllen.com. Get on there. Click everything you need. Ship it all at once. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. Yo, everybody, let's talk about getting a job. Coast to Coast Canine is hiring experienced full-time and part-time drug and explosive detection canine handlers. If you're interested, shoot Peggy Heiser an email at pheiser, P-H-E-I-S-E-R at c2ckanine.com. That's the letter C, the number two, the letter C, the number K, the number nine dot com. What you have to have to be eligible for this is a minimum of three years knowledge in handling detection or training experience with law enforcement and military and large breed high drive dogs. You gotta possess a trainer certification from a state recognized agency or national certification such as USPCA, NAPWADA, NNDDA, or something similar. You also need to have a knowledge and or experience as an instructor or a canine handler with a state recognized agency like the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. You gotta speak fluent Spanish and English. If you have all that, they're willing to give you a competitive wage and employee benefits. Again, that's P. Heiser at C2CCanine.com. Highland Canine Training, LLC. To all of my fellow LE Canine guys, Highland Canine should definitely be on your short list of vendors when it comes time to adding to your unit or replacing one of your dogs. Highland Canine offers green and pre-trained single and dual purpose dogs if you train in-house. But most importantly, they offer a full-service canine academy with canine handlers courses, canine instructors courses, specialized advanced canine training, and canine supervisors courses. Jason and his staff of instructors have been there and done that in this game. They run these classes year-round, so go to their awesome website at www.tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's Tactical Police, the letter K, the number 9, training.com, and make your unit better. It sounds a lot like the philosophy that we talk about with the HRD stuff where, uh, and how I teach my dual purpose handlers where, yeah, I'm like, you know, once a year you have to certify, you do, you do, you have to out, you you got to do all the shit, but the other 364 days a year, we're going to be doing balls out, but you're going to be tearing shit up and breaking stuff and actually deploying like you deploy or training like you're going to deploy. And I think it's a lot of the reason why my teams and Eric's teams are so successful with apprehensions and with drug work Mm -hmm. because, and even with scenario stuff, like, so for example, I do the same thing, like you're saying with, with narcotics, um, where we're at now, um, my guys catch primarily meth. Mm -hmm. Um, Oklahoma has a shitload of meth where he's at and where Eric's at, it's heroin. Mm -hmm. And so that's what mainly my guys work. And and, and you're going to be mobile. The dog's ready for it. And an operational-based training is everything. We talked about intel gathering and training with the right odors compared to the threat or what they're likely to find. But operational-based training is everything. You know, it's no longer good enough to, you know, get your dog and every Thursday get the sheriff out and the cute receptionist out and so on and say, go on, put some odor on one of those line of 10 vehicles. And, you know, not at the beginning, not at the end, somewhere in the middle or three quarters through and so on. And watch how great your dog is at sucking the paint off the vehicle. Um, and before he has a head change three vehicles and goes and finds it, that works great. The dog knows what's happening every freaking Thursday. Right. Then you go out onto I-20, it's 
pissing down with rain, it's pitch black dark, you've got an irate driver that you've pulled over, fucking trucks are going past you at 80 miles an hour, you know, the dog is not no longer interested in sucking the paint off the vehicle for you, he wants to get around that vehicle and back in his fucking tr his truck where it's safe because you're never, he's never getting productive there. It's not the game of search, which we mostly forget it's a game of search, these dogs, is not played there. And do you know why it's not? It's because it takes effort to do that. Yep. It takes effort to plan that on a buddy-buddy system and get your pal to do a traffic stop on him and so on. So he puts his time out at 11 o'clock at night on his day off and so on. It takes time. But those that do operational-based training, those that gather the intelligence before every search so they can prioritize their deployment and how they're going to do things, those that keep an eye on the trends of explosives currently, fuck, they're the most proficient teams out there. You know? So Vaporweight K9 has... Um you know, had a whole evolution of names and of things, and it started out with I think the you were at, the company was different, but then the Vaporwake name of the actual type of work you were doing comes comes out, yeah. um, and now now we're up to where it's actually everything all encompassing name of the business, name of what you do, the technology and everything. So um, talk a little bit. I'm I'm sure you could probably do hours on it. Sure. The how you had to convince people that it wasn't voodoo bullshit. Sure, absolutely. 100%. Look, I mean, the first thing is, is that the Auburn canine scientists had to convince me. Um, I was at you know, 20 years of traditional bomb dog fucking operations, okay? But going against live devices all the time, one thing you learn to be is a sponge, okay? You get the fucking ego, all right? And you be like a sponge because you've got to because things are always evolving. So when I first met the Auburn canine detection guys, and I said, okay, show me this body wants to detection. Show me, let me see this happen, let me see that. Put it this scenario, why are you traversing? Why are you, why are you that far away? Why don't you get the dog up closer to give him a more productive chance and so on? I, I, trust me, nobody asked more questions than I, okay? As a, as a traditional bomb dog guy, um, I asked every question. I think, I think I was still asking questions one and a half years later of the initial program that I took over in 2013 with a, with a strategic partnership. But the bottom line is, I was being educated, okay? And the reality is, is that traditional bomb dogs are not suited for body-worn explosive detection because they're not taught initially that people are a productive area of search. I mean, it's not that they can't smell the residual from the trainer or the handler that's using training aids or has been using training aids that day in everyday training or when they're imprinting and so on. Of course they can. We all know how powerful these dogs' olfactories are, okay? But they're, they're taught that it's not a productive area of search, okay? Whether you're stood next to an officer with a firearm system or, or something like that or another trainer, it's not that the dog doesn't realize that that person's got explosives on. It's that it's not getting me my ball if I pay attention. You know, we can do extinction training and all that if a dog does show too much. When we're traditionally training it, whether it's boxes, Dutch, Dutch boxes, whatever it is, of how we imprint the traditional odor, okay? So first and foremost, if you've got a dog that sees static objects and explosive particles coming out, creating this beautiful scent cone over a period of time that we all know about and read about and so on, okay? That, every certification agency out there says Napwater, for example, we must have 30 minutes soak time, okay? Give the dog a chance to find the odor. Well, that 30 minute soak time for a traditional bomb dog is fine. It's realistic in the sense of if a bomb's been placed statically out at a venue or, or a VIP meeting, it's most likely been there more than 30 minutes. So I'm, I'm cool with that, okay? 
But don't tell me you need that 30 minutes for static and then somebody with body one explosives walks past you in 0.3 seconds. Mm-hmm. Where's the scent cone, guys? Where's the amount of odor that you get with a statically played? Why do you think that this traditional bomb dog can detect a body-worn explosives hidden on a person, inherently smaller amounts than when you would place out statically because they're carrying it, it's gone past your dog's olfactory point, i.e. the static point, in 0.3 seconds, and you think that your dog has got a right to be proficient. Even if he did, by some miracle, detect odor, the first thing he's going to do is go and sniff a piece of ground that's productive to him, because that's what he's been taught. So traditional bomb dogs, not necessarily screen for people. Of course, we can take those traditional bomb dogs and teach them that people are now productive. It's very easy for us to do that. We can do that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, this is now productive. Go down the line. This is now productive. Reinforce, reinforce. Too easy. The problem is it's intrusive and it's limited. People screening dogs is its own category and it's intrusive. It's got a lot of training issues, dogs stereotype the type of people you use. Whether it's an ethnic group, an age, a certain size, certain smell. Our dogs, as we, we all know, are so much more clever than you and I, okay? Yeah. And they start to stereotype. But a dog that's trained that people are productive can be proficient, absolutely. If you can get it up within the magic six foot, the end of a leash to a person absolutely can be proficient in narcotics or explosives but they're best suited in airports and areas where you're slow moving and, and can control traffic lines the third thing is there's a there's a whole different area mass pedestrian screening you can't shout to 10,000 fans going into dallas cowboy stadium as they all go past the 12 entrances that they're going towards and shout stop Everybody stand still, please, because I need to get my traditional dog that's been trained that people are productive within six foot of you all. Come on, guys. Mm -hmm. It's about proficiency. So the only way you can screen them with any level of proficiency of detecting or with that many people going past you is teach them that the person's not productive, but the heat plume and air that they leave behind in their wake, and everybody does, if you can train a dog that that's the productive area and to stay away from this person he's not productive and you can take their older threshold down to parts per trillion as you do so now you've got a a traverse chance of traversing across all their plumes going against the flow of traffic you've actually got a chance of detection and then that turning in and following that suspect to source because the closer he gets as he's turned the more odor particles are there um, to that person that suspect so To answer your question, there is a huge difference between traditional bomb dogs, people screening dogs, and mass screening. Vaporwake is just a product. Because it's been so successful and it's kind of known, people think it's a discipline. It's not. It's our Ferrari. It's our brand. And we just wanted to say, if we're taking 18 months to train this dog in this way for mass screening, I could train people screening in two weeks. All right, just an extension of my EDD dogs. We, of course, we churn out hundreds of EDD dogs and sell them to the world nationwide and globally. So it's just, look, we're taking this much time environmentally, socially raising these dogs, 18 months to train these dogs. We're training them to do we not see people as productive, which is very difficult to do. All you dog trainers, everyone knows that to train a dog, eyesight, olfactory, this is a productive area, this is a cookie jar, go and look in it. You can't do that with air and nothing. Okay, there's a whole bunch of things you've got to do to get that dog smelling and focusing where there's no visual to stimulate the dog in the first place. That's the difference. 
VaporWake is a product name. It's our name we give to our dogs with dogs trained for mass screening. But mass screening is a discipline that not a lot of people realize needs to be done. You know? Well, it's definitely, it's definitely spawned com competition. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, it's fantastic. Competition's yeah. healthy. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot of companies I, I see out there with contracts at stadiums. And yeah. I'm from Canton, Ohio, and they, uh, we have the Pro Football Hall of Fame there, and there's mm -hmm. been a couple different, I think actually Vapor Week was there this last year. Great. I think. I can't remember. Yeah, there's about 130 Vape Week dogs out there right now um, going around. The first two years it was a different company, and I, uh, I was not impressed. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and it had well if you don't know anything if you maybe you're a handler and you've heard this then you see that particular company work their dogs you're like see this is all bullshit absolutely it's all bullshit and it has nothing to actually do with the science it's just yeah. they the dogs sat underneath the table and yeah. stayed out of the sun the whole time never moved absolutely it's just, it look that's the unfortunate thing about our industry whether as you as everyone knows when there's money to be made mm. okay then products get produced and rushed and so on the reality look with our reputation and our name in the body worn explosives think how easy it would be for me to go hey take those 20 edd dogs and spend two weeks putting people on them as a productive area mm. and i'll churn those things out for a 15 20 grand and, and clear the industry up I won't do it. Hmm. And the reason I won't do it is because unless I get an airport contract or unless I get a, an inside contract where I, I've got slow moving lines where I can get that dog intrusively within six foot of people and, and operate at an 85 to 90, of course we never say 100% proficiency, I won't do it. I'm not going to take a dog that sees people as productive and pretend out in the real world in Times Square and, and in these stadiums where people are coming from the tailgating areas and they're, they're not in perfect line, they're disorganized, they're random, they're 30, 40 deep going past the canine checkpoint. You know, I'm not going to sit there knowing that my dog, if I trained a people screening dog, was only actually screening two or three people around me with any level of proficiency and the further people got away was zero to zero. I, I can't do it. I've been an operator all my life and I cannot stand there and, and watch that happen. You know, to your point, there are those that can. Yeah. Uh, we just got to go around and educate people on the differences and the importance of mass screening and the import because that's the world we live in and how dogs can be used, but there's a hell of a lot of training got to go into them to do so, you know. So, um, so now the the business is is pretty big. Are you a businessman now, or are you still? You, when was the last time you touched a leash that you oh. you actually got to go? Do you know what? It's a great question. Um, believe it or not, we we had a bomb scare at a local school not so long ago, and I quickly grabbed the leash and, and, and got one of the other handlers out there, and we ran out there uh, to help, you know, type thing. So I'm not afraid of, of, of grabbing a leash. I just envy those that do. Because, look, I've got different responsibilities now. You know, um, there's, there's very few canine guys that go on a journey um, but then end up transitioning into corporate America. Um, I'm not talking about canine guys that start their own business. That's a different kettle of fish, you know, and I, I love the fact that there's all these small businesses out there. It's just great for everyone, you know. Um, but I'm talking about, uh, you know, multi-million dollar companies where you are responsible for financials and, and, and there's big players in this. When you know, 20, 30 million dollars a year in revenue coming in, you've got some pretty big people, uh, billionaire businessmen to answer to. Um, and yeah. to, to transition from the dog guy to accountant to corporate America and, and all those other things, 
I'm not going to lie, it's been a journey and a half. I've made every mistake in the book three times fucking over, okay? I won't make it a fourth time, but I've made every mistake three times over. And there's very few that can get on that journey and go through that pain, but I think for doing so, you're better off for it because the decisions you make at the top end, you're looking at the bottom end when you make those decisions. And too many people are looking at finances and, and, and positioning and so on. When I make decisions, it's about the proficiency of my canine team at the bottom end. You know, whether it's proficiency of this product in our cleaning our kennels, does it make our dogs better? New air conditioning system, does it help our dogs? New vehicles, equipment, uniforms, every decision. Is this person the right person to make these teams proficient? This training manager and so on. Every decision I make at this corporate end is about proficiency of the dog team at the other end, and that is shit bust it. Okay, if it doesn't improve my proficiency of my teams, it doesn't fucking happen. Excuse my language. No, okay? you, no, you, <laughs> yeah. no. All right, that's good, that's good. But it doesn't happen, you know? So there's less of the business interference, and because of it, we can think outside the box, and we're growing organically, and reputation, as you know, in this industry is everything, you know? Yeah. So it's tough um, when you've got these, these uh, guys, corporate guys, you know, pushing, putting pressure on you, but you know what? You, when you stick to the product, stick to the proficiency, um, the rest kind of falls into place. And I think this is a great time to be in the canine industry. In my 30 years, I've never known as many dog sales, as many service contracts, um, you know, global threats, body-worn explosives is another area, sports, commercial, government, militaries and, and forces are, are coming now to the private sector and asking for courses and so on. And the cargo industry is just turning into um, at the privatization. The cargo industry is going to be huge worldwide, you know, yeah. so. so that's that brings a good point and it's a good time to start talking about that too so um effective i think it's what january 1st of this of 2020 is when we that has to happen and um i think yeah i, I think that's right um the cargo screening alliance uh canine alliance thing uh is uh vaporwake is part of that uh and anison and then there's four other partners or three other partners excuse me so let's talk a little bit about that we talked about people screening um, and it's a TSA program, but it's the privatization of that. So how does VaporWake and you guys, fit in, you guys' teams fit into that? Absolutely. The third-party canine program, 3P Canine, is the TSA's initiative to privatize the uh, cargo screening industry, okay? Obviously, the TSA canine teams have done a very good job up until now of providing passenger cargo uh, a detection capability, okay? Since 9-11, certain rules and regulations changed when it comes to passenger aircraft, the screening cargo going on. Actually, from there, um, the TSA's program has been, has been, you know, successfully running. The problem is it's just got too big. You know, there's 9.4 yeah. million, billion, sorry, um, tons of cargo moved across 582 airports in the United States that move over a million tons of cargo, passenger, okay? So 77 freight forwarders. So it's a huge undertaking. So TSA, working with the Air Freight Forwarders Association, working with the private sector, we help shape a lot of that to transition and get it passed through that the private sector can now screen cargo. So you mentioned 2020, but it's actually 2021 for all cargo planes. Ah. But now we're screening passenger planes. That is right happening right now. Today. So 3PK9, the official program start date was beginning of December 2018. 
Okay. We, CSK9, the Cargo Screening Canine Alliance, is its own dedicated company. We got approved through the lengthy process of applying for this um, as a service provider uh, February, February the 1st, okay, this year. So this is very new to everybody. But it took quite a long time, almost four years for TSA to write the program, okay? And we are actually an approved CCSF, a Certified Cargo Screening Facility dash canine, okay? There are four approved canine companies at this minute in time in the United States in the commercial sector. But of course, there are over 40 that applied for the service thing. And one by one, TSA's program will get to them, screen them, and select them and pass them. CSK9, why did we come together? Uh, myself uh, with VWK9, uh, Ken Licklider with VLK, Southern Coast K9, which is kind of uh, owned underneath our partnership anyway, under our ITC partnership. Uh, why did we all come together? Okay, the reason being is because it's estimated that even the passenger cargo is going to require 1,000 to 2,000 dog teams in the United States alone. That was an industry day uh, analysis that was sent out to airlines and freight forwarders of if we go live with canines on the 3P canine program, how many of you will be interested in transitioning from um, machines, technology, x-rays and so on, over to canine? And the feedback was the requirement was going to be 1,000 to 2,000 teams. Now, imagine that at the average of $80 per hour as an example um, of services, you're talking about $350 million a year to half a billion dollars a year just in the United States, never mind worldwide, okay? So we individually, although us canine bigger guys like to think we can do it all, I'm dead against that. If you can strategically partner, okay, and so I got together with Kenny Licklider, you know, and we've always been battling with each other on dog sales and Middle East stuff and so on, Said, and me and Kenny both said, hey, why don't we team together on this one? You know, the, the, the thing with freight and cargo is these companies who can hire us now, private sector, they're not just in one location. They're in all over the United States. You know, yeah. they have hubs in all of the United States. So we need a big network. We need facilities northeast, south, and west. So by partnering with Kenny, we of course had our 320-acre academy in Alabama. He's got his 600-acre facility in Indiana with Southern Coast Canine down in, in New Smyrna Beach, right next to the Miami hub. Okay, that's right there. You've got Chicago, Atlanta, and Miami covered. Um, then on the west coast, got VLK West in Banning, California. So that really helps with logistics and training support there. Plus we've got a European kennel um, and a breeding program of Auburn. So it just made sense. Where are we getting all these dogs from? Where are we getting all these handlers from? I happen to be, uh, have a, 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 be a founder in caneunemployment.com, the online recruitment database. So we brought that into the fold as well. So now all of a sudden we've got this, by coming together and working together, which is pretty much a first in the industry uh, of bringing these big boys in together, we were able to form a separate company, Cargo Screening Canine Alliance, which we call CSK9, have it as a dedicated LLC where all the key players have got ownership in it. So now they've got a vested interest, okay? And service this industry properly. The last thing we want is this failing. It will be detrimental to the private sector. Okay, we all. This is one where we all need to come together and get this right. Well, you know? I mean, even if the low end of the estimates are correct, I mean, a thousand—that's a lot of fucking dogs. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Absolutely, and, and not only that, that's just the passenger side. Right. By 2021, all the cargo aircraft 
have to be screened by detection dogs. And by 2021, in Europe and the rest of the world, anybody flying to America or over American airspace, guess what? Has to be screened by a canine. God. I mean, it's when we talk about the canine industry, never been, if you're in the canine industry now, it's the right time. You know, it's the right time to be in the canine industry, you know? So, uh, speaking of Aniston, uh, Fort McClellan, it looks like a fucking video game down there. Like <laughs> I went like four or five years ago to do the AM canine biathlon, yeah. um, which, uh, is basically a, what was it? 5k or something? It's four miles. What do you guys do? I, I'm a miles guy. So, but it's like, what's that? Six, six K, seven K? Yeah, something like that. Something like but that. it is like up and over and through all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you run it with your dog. Um, I went, uh, the first year they had it, uh, Alicia and I went down. Uh, she had static and I had lek. Um, and I mean, like from the get go, you get covered in sand and mud and uh, it's cool. Um, I think the first year there was like 60, 60, yeah. 60 something people. Absolutely. And yeah. so starting off it, it's this, when is it this year? It's always the third weekend in May. Okay. So this year it's obviously the 18th and 19th, which is Saturday to Sunday. People start right. coming on the Friday cause it's a festival weekend now, but to your point, it's a little more than 60. They already got like 1,200 now. 1,200 signed Holy up already. Shit. Uh, we're still three weeks to go. So we're going to see 1,500 people with, and if you've never seen 1,500 canines in one place, <laughs> it's Holy fucking shit. epic. It is like, you know, there's anything like it. And, and of course, we've already sold out like, oh, it's Anderson, Alabama. There's, like, there's only five hotels in Anderson. We've sold them all out. So there's like 89 RVs that are there. There's yeah. over 160 camping registered through the website, through the app. And so, I mean, when I talk about our 320 could be a bit of festival for the weekend, third weekend of May, it's just crazy. A lot of vendors are coming on board now. Yukonuba is the main sponsor. We're going to take this nationwide. Um, it's the US Canine Biathlon. It's, it's getting such traction. Yukonuba is coming as a big sponsor. A lot of uh, equipment companies, Ray Allen and all these different places, they're all coming on. There are vendor booths there. This, so this thing's got just unbelievably large. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, we, uh, Alicia is trying to convince me to come down and run it again. And I'm like, ugh. So in between all of our HRD stuff. You have no time. <laughs> no, you should, man. If you just come down for the free beer and the, the free whiskey and cigars, there's that many people sponsoring. Dog, you know what dog guys are like, they're nuts. Oh, yeah. but, but honestly, the bonding experience that you probably experienced oh, when yeah. you went around this course, that's the thing here. If you've never took on a, and it's challenging. I mean, yes. it, Imagine a tough mother or a Spartan race, but worse. Yeah. I mean, because With a dog attached. Yeah, yeah. Because it's all natural. So those types of races, they have to build their obstacles like a week before, two weeks before. Right. These things are permanent structures. Mm. I mean, proper built like tunnels going over double road systems and plunges into ten foot pools. Yeah. And it's just insane but it's so much fun and uh, the bonding experience when people come over that line you know bring i see a lot of military staying together in the cane industry and law enforcement sticks together in the cane industry and and civilian search and rescue and so on so civilians and their pets it's all segmented you know so this event bringing everybody together um is 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 just key and the fact that of course we uh, we had a handicap system so every year that you're over 21 you get 15 seconds knocked off ah, your time yeah and, you're in uh, yeah and then every year your dog's <laughs> over two you get 30 seconds knocked over for each year ah. off your time the, the first year the uh, first year we had our buddy will uh ward uh who's got a purple heart but he lost a leg in Afghanistan, right, and man. he had that fucking big ass cane and corso thing or whatever that thing was and will did it with one leg 
it was right. so yeah, inspiring. Oh, it yeah, was yeah. so damn inspiring. Yeah. It was just like everybody when he came over that finish line, everyone was like, first of all, how the fuck do you even take on this four mile course? Because it's not for the faint hide. No. I'm not saying that, don't get me wrong, the youngest person ever to complete the course is a four year old called Priscilla with her father. And the eldest person is a 76 year old woman that did the course. Wow. If you want to go over it in two hours to do four up yeah. form, you can do it. There's lots of plenty of places to rest and streams that you go through. And so you can make it a nature walk. But if you're a serious competitor or an athlete or somebody that wants to get from A to B pretty quickly, you're gonna have the toughest day of your life. And when he come over, at the pace he was still running at, right. we were just in awe. Well, he couldn't have picked a worse fucking dog to do it with. I mean, it was like that dog you got out in your car. Yeah, a 130 pound dog. That's not fun. Insane. <laughs> that would not be fun. No, no you got to go up that hill and ring the bell. Heartbreak hill. Fucking die. Heartbreak hill. Yeah, we got the biggest mountain right at the end of the fucking course. Yeah, I mean, of course. It's just yeah. insane. And then you come down and jump in that nasty fucking water. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's a few surprises this year. We got oh, some God. mystery obstacles. I mean, some of the obstacles are going over yellow school buses. I mean, wow. it's just insane. I shouldn't be giving too much away, but uh, <laughs> yeah. 1,200 1, uh, people that uh, looking forward to it. But no, look, it's a weekend festival. It's the third weekend in May. USK9Biathlon.com, uh, where people can sign up for that and find out more information. I'm going to try to get some of the guys to. You should make. You should make. Have you go down there? Make a team. A team of four. Uh, as long you can have a team of twenty. There's some teams that are fifty coming from LA. All right. The, people come from all over the United States. We've got some people coming internationally this year. So we've had to put oh, in wow. international yeah. category. We've got a veterans category, military category, police category, youth, individual. I mean, it's pretty cool. Even some people run it without dogs. About forty, fifty each year. I send them off first so they can clear the snakes from the course for our oh. four-legged furry friends. You know. So uh, now that you uh, you and Kenny have knocked the, the dust <laughs> off your fucking lives here uh, and you have the cargo screening alliance uh, we yeah we and we brought this up to kenny last year we suggest that you come up with the canine shipping alliance and you buy some fucking planes and ship dogs it. from europe at, at prices that are reasonable I tell it, we were you, just I, talking about how it's ridiculous i tell you what that conversation has happened in my ops room I kid you not, because everyone feels it. We feel it, you yeah. know. Um, the small guy feels it because it's bloody expensive and it's a pain in the ass even to operate. The big guy feels it because of the amount of volume he's doing. Um, it's just, it's, you're absolutely right. And with all these restrictions, you know, a lot of these people walking around with therapy dogs and so on have caused a lot of these issues. Right. Um, but now all these restrictions with series 600 crates and above. And, mm -hmm. and um, their ears can't fucking touch and all kinds of stupid shit. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, insane so and, yeah. out of um was i think it was oh to fly from holland to um detroit for two dogs they wanted 2400 euro i'm like oh, yeah. get, get out of here oh, no yeah. get out and, and here's the thing it wouldn't be so bad if the client our end user Exorb that pricing as yeah. a matter of fact not a fucking chance no they don't <laughs> no, they're not they interested don't. in that they, they still want either. a fucking dog at the original price they had yeah. five years ago and they don't give a shit you know, yeah, they're like no you know, they don't give a shit <laughs> yeah if you could pass all these costs on so what it'd be good but that's just not the land we live in the clients want things cheaper than they've ever had before and you know, uh, yeah. with no explanation i mean i you know yeah they I, killed a dog that was the explanation yeah. well, and I, we got yeah, punished yeah. for it i mean yeah. like four years ago i shipped five dogs in for 800 euros total 
And then that same year, I shipped a one female, and it was twelve hundred. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. What? And since then, it's just it has never skyrocketed. It's insane. But I think there's part of me that thinks, I understand that some of these corporate businessmen, you know, they're like, okay, this is actually getting pretty damn profitable uh, shipping dogs and canines now. How can we make more money? And how can we restrict this and so on? So that I think there may be an element of that as well of the corporate side of people transporting uh, oh, yeah. uh, dogs. I, I never underestimate that understanding a little bit more about how corporate well, we were talking works. to Kendall and um, there's a, a uh, she does horses and stuff too. And, and there's a, a, a company that flies horses and I can't imagine what it costs to ship a fucking horse, but they have space in those planes yeah. that they can put kennels in and they're like, Oh yeah, we can ship them. But then right now it's limited. Like they go to Miami and Houston, I think. And that's yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah. Which, and that's one of the hardest things, isn't it? Is finding hubs that internationally you can move and operate from as well. You know, it's a it's a tough thing, but you're absolutely right. It, something needs to be done, and and the way canine procurement is right now, and the demand for dogs, both in Europe. I mean, you know, it's bad when the U.S. is seriously looking about breeding programs and things like that. You know, American Kennel Club and so on, and the government's taking such an interest. The problem is, if they actually sort this shit out here in the U.S. and do actually get the breeding and, and things going right, it's two three years before we see the dividend from that anyway. Yeah, right. You know, so we need to fix this problem on the short term, not just mid and long term. You know, right. so put that in your list of things. All right, to I'll do put it on there. I'll speak to Kenny tonight over a beer, but trying to get money out of that guy to even buy a fucking round is impossible. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. He just bought a boat, so he know. Uh, tell him, you know, to spend money. Well, what's funny is, tell him is buy a fucking plane. What's yeah. funny is <laughs> under the Alliance, under the CSK9, when he supplies dogs to the Alliance or I supply dogs, we have an operational buyback. Back, uh, you know, so obviously we right. bill for the rep. It's obviously seriously discounted with a little bit of margin on top because you're a partner in this. So we're here at this conference here, and I saw when I was putting these little raffle tickets in some of the things, I see Kenny's got a thousand dollars off a canine or a course. So I fucking put all my tickets in there because <laughs> he's going to bill me fucking for six dogs pretty soon. If I can fucking wave that certificate back in his face, there's one. I got one Here's a thousand dollars back. Yeah. That's pretty Think funny. Think smart. Think That's smart. Funny. Yeah. yeah he's going to hear this and be like, that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, no, especially if I win it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's up? great. Well, we, uh, we appreciate you taking time out, man. Yeah, man. You probably get pulled in a lot of directions, but uh, we haven't. The last couple of seminars we were at where we had our equipment, we just couldn't get it all lined up. No, absolutely, so, man. It's a yeah. pleasure. It's always good. You guys are uh, doing good things as well. I see and growing pretty rapidly as well. Yeah. Soon you're going to be uh, coming with your travel booth and all that right. sort of shit with you, know? Yeah, for, for all this with uh, different parabolic things and... Whatever. Yeah, everybody listening. This is some fancy shit. We're in a we're in the side room of a hotel. This is super classy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but I tell you what, you got some pretty classy Shaw mics there. I, I know, yeah, they the I know a Shaw mic when I see one yeah. from the old uh, pub days and band days. But uh, oh, yeah. you guys are definitely enlarging it with your equipment. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, Absolutely man. a pleasure, guys. Enjoy awesome. the rest of the conference as well. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And right. uh, everybody else, we'll be back in a little bit uh, with our next guest. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. 
Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com that's the letter K, the number 9, or arno, A-R-N-O at almsuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code k 9 Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom, and we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up. Specifically for guys in this podcast, for if you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.